guess what? There wasn't one pension system in place. Uh, the union was covered by the federal system, mm-hmm. and the Confederates had to develop their own pensions. Wow. Yeah, they had to create and fund their own pensions. Now, that's new to me because I thought that they would have, even though they were enemy combatants, I guess it was a treasonous act to um, rebel against the United States. So, yep. but, okay. And did you know African American Union soldiers collected pensions? Really? They did. That is surprising to me. Yep. And then where Irene comes in, okay. women and orphan children okay. were eligible for pension benefits. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, you're back on the second page. Thanks for returning for our fifth and hope to be awesome podcast. I'm your host, Terry, here with... I'm Jerry. And uh, we're happy to be here. Things are changing in this country. The world is changing. Things are changing. And so... In regards to last week's episode, we wanted to have a light episode this week. So me and Jerry have some great, great articles for you. We're going to go ahead and set the table. And the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the death of physical retail. It looks like people are shopping more and more online. And it seems like the retail business is the physical retail business. is not what it's been. Jerry has a story about the Civil War. I have a tech tip for you. And then we're going to close out talking about the XFL. All right, Jerry, you ready to get started? Let's go. All right, let's do it. All right, so for our first story, we're going to talk about physical retail, okay? Now, the one thing COVID-19 did do, it actually made physical retail important in our lives again. You know, before we were buying everything online and we still, for the most part, really, for the most part, we buy most of our stuff from physical retail, but thing, items like clothing, jewelry, electronics, especially electronics, we buy online now. But with COVID-19, brick and mortar saw a little bit of a boom, you know? I'm surprised at that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I saw, I went to the micro center and um, they had limits on the amount of computers you could buy, desktops you can buy, laptops you can buy, and monitors you can buy. Because people, you know... So many people had to work from home and they weren't prepared. They didn't want to work from a laptop. They wanted to work from something that okay. uh, appeared to be like a physical desktop. So brick and mortar, they saw a boom. So now where this article came from, this article was written in Mark and Watch. It says JC Penny to close 154 stores. So Jerry, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with physical retail and, you okay. know. Yeah, before we start, uh, I'd say that really surprised me. You say even during the uh, pandemic that, physical retail um, had a boom, an uptick in it. I, I would think that people were staying away and it, it would have really gone down those numbers. But wow, I mean, it really is surprising. Yeah, me. I remember they had the CEO of Target on okay. CNBC. I was watching him. Oh, okay. And uh, he said, like, the paper products, like toilet paper, that napkins, paper it. towels, they were up several hundred okay. percent. He said there was it wasn't sustainable, but they had okay. seen those kind of sales like they had never seen since before. The, since the 80s, huh? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> before the likes of Amazon came into existence, right? So, you know, I started off saying the death of retail, but that's sort of a misnomer because actually retail is very vibrant. Okay. The only problem is it's digital, right? It's the death okay. of brick and mortar that yes. uh, we, we, we're talking about in this section, right? Yes. And uh, more specifically, the superstore, right? So mm-hmm. in the 90s, I, hell, I used to work for one. Uh, I used to work for Media Play in the 90s. Okay. I, I believe the store was 55,000 square feet, right? It was okay. music, software, 
books and videos, right? And I worked in the hard lines department, which was the <laughs> software department. You know, that's true to my nerd fashion. I sold software when I was 16 and like 19 years old. Okay. All right. Um, and people would come in and they would ask you for advice about, you know, a title and you would say, hey, it's good. And then, you know, in the music department and you millennials might understand this, we used to buy CDs all the time. <laughs> that retail space became virtually useless over the last, I would say, 20 years. Now you download software when you purchase it. You download music when you purchase it. People don't even buy CDs anymore. They mm -hmm. just stream, right? Yeah, you can hear more, a whole album streaming it. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's less expensive. Yeah. Um, I remember when, you know, CD was like $10. So you would mm -hmm. buy, you know, 10 albums would be $100 worth of CDs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now you can stream a whole album for free, you know, when it comes out. I mean, it's the same with video gaming as well. Back when I used to play, you know, you've heard of GameStop. Yeah. You, know, you could go in there and, and buy your games. But now, you know, you can just download them straight to them from your console. And you don't, you know, don't even have to go into a store or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, that contributed, um, I guess, to GameStop. I, I'm not sure if they're doing um, how they're doing now, but you know, that's just one example, too. All right. And I did a little bit of research, Jerry, on this okay. topic, right? So it's it's evolution, actually, right? Okay. Tell me if this doesn't sound kind of cool to you, all right? The department store killed the individual product store and the general store, okay. right? With selection and service. Walmart killed the department store, right? Yeah. You, you had, I mean, it, it's essentially a department store. I mean, you had so many things under one mm -hmm. roof, right? And then... Amazon is killing the rest of brick and mortar. Um, Man. And we've seen these shifts in the retail business over and over again, and all have dealt with the three things, the split between price, selection, and service. And you have to be competitive on two of these to survive. So, you know, let's mm -hmm. say... You know, some of the past retailers like the Circus Cities of the world and H.H. Gregg's of the world. I remember uh, with Circus City, they used to pay their employees on commission. So okay. employees were incentivized to sell you things. Okay. So then they kind of went to that Best Buy model, whether you, you, you paid your associates hourly. Okay. And I think the sales dropped off. And so you're competitive on price, right? Mm -hmm. You're not competitive on service. And then I would say they were okay on selection, but... The retail's paid the price, you know? Yeah. It, and then there's this concept called showrooming, and people know what that means. Well, most people don't know what that means, but Jerry, <laughs> here's what showrooming is. It's when you say, all right, I'm interested in buying this product. I'm going to go to my local electronics store. I'm going to look at the product. I'm going to try it out, and then I'm going to buy it online. And wow. so what happens is a lot of these larger retails became showrooms for online purchases. Yeah. I have a friend uh, who's in my business. He used to own several cell phone stores. And he, he used to joke that uh, when he had a cell phone store, he made most of his money by, you know, selling accessories. Okay. And he, he had a joke with me. He said, you know, Jeff Bezos called me the other day and he said, I'm going to send some people down to your store to try this stuff out. And then they're going to buy it from me. And he said, that was the death of his business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It's just amazing. Yeah. So yeah. retail is forever shifting and changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just the evolution, just the modernization of everything and, and just had to go by the wayside. You know, what is it? It's just um, succession. You know, like you said, the department store and the retail store and all those things are, you know, giving way to online technologies. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad. You know, I think what the retailers were 
trying to hold out for. And mm-hmm. I used to be one of these people. Mm-hmm. I was an instant gratification person, right? So what that meant is if I wanted to buy something, I wanted to take it home that day. But Amazon over time has taught us that two days is just yeah. as good as instant. You know? That, yeah. I guess you know, you're not having to go into the store and dealing with, you know, just people and stuff. But don't we lose out on like social socialization? You know, it's just a big thing about going to the store. Yeah, and touching you know? the product, feeling yeah. the product. But somehow, you know what I think it is? The reviews sell us mm. on what we used to do. Like we used to go pick up something, inspect it, you know, try it out. Now, if enough people affirm that the product is a good product, I guess we trust it and we buy it. I guess, but, but I don't know. I just think we losing out on some, something, you know, with yeah. not yeah. going to a store. But it's, it, I, I guess they'll work it out. It's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal, but yeah, we have these big dinosaurs called malls, and we're creating years. Yeah, and we're creating you know big monster like Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then one day we have to do a show on monopolies. (laughs) Yes, we do. Yeah, absolutely. We we decided that at the turn of last century. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And um, now we're dealing with monopolies again. But yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was going to say, just just for uh, perspective, (laughs) Amazon's responsible for 5% of all retail sales. But they're responsible for forty nine percent of all of all online sales. You would think that Amazon is responsible for ninety percent of retail sales and ninety five or something, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're like the big monster or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I, I I think we've done this topic justice, don't you think? Oh yeah. All right. And we're back. Um, we're going to talk about a young lady. Um, she passed away last week. Her name was Irene Triplett. And she was in North, from North Carolina. This was in an article out of the Washington Post written by Ian Shapira. And they talked about the interesting thing about Irene Triplett's life. Um, just on surface, she was a 90-year-old lady when she passed away. And you would say, yeah, you, in 90 years, you would have lived an interesting life. But probably the most interesting thing about Ms. Triplett was that she was the last person to receive a pension from the American Civil War. That war ended 155 years ago, and the government was still paying surviving pensions to survivors. Um, she, along with somebody else, I think they were in Tennessee, that, as the article stated, but I think that person preceded her in death as well. They didn't really go into it. They were focusing on Ms. Triplett. But it was uh, the coolest thing about this was um, her father was born in 1846, he enlisted, or he was drafted or whatever, into the uh, Confederate Army in 1862. But 1864, he defected to the Union. So they were getting, um, of course, you know, everybody got the, the benefits from the Civil War, but you know, he, he was a Union soldier. When the war ended in April of 1865, he was on the side of the Union. He picked the right side of history to be on. I was just about to make that joke. I was like, I guess everybody wants to be on the right side of history. Absolutely. Some people don't. But, um, but yeah, you know, so you know, he had a wife, and she died, I think, sometime in the early 20s. Well, when he was a spry young man at 78 years old, he met another lady and he decided to marry her. That lady was 27 years old when they got married and he was 78. Six years later, they had a child and that was Irene in 1930. I'm sorry, that wasn't six years later. They were married in 1924. And then six years later, um, in 1930, Irene was born. Um, her mom was 32 and her father was 83. 
she was described as, I guess, having um, uh, learning uh, difficulties. I guess, you know, it's understandable, but she worked on the family farm um, and she actually went into residence um, with her mom um, in adult facilities, um, I guess, because of her learning disabilities. But she, um, her mom died in 1967. She was getting the spousal benefits. She had a brother that died in 1996, and Irene survived all the way up until 2020, up until last week, which I I just really thought that that was such an interesting thing. And and another uh, side note on this, um, in in the research on this, Terry, there are still 33 spouses and 18 children receiving benefits from the Spanish-American War, 1898. I know we were talking about the American Civil War, but that's 155 years ago. I think Irene's the last person which you know, mm-hmm. stated. So we still are giving pensions to the Spanish-American War from 1898. So that's 51 people are still getting benefits from that. Yeah. So, Jerry, when you told okay. me about this story, yeah. you know, I— Immediately fell asleep, but then I woke up and I was like, "Let me let me let me look into this a little bit, okay?" Okay. So most of the veterans of the Civil War were in their fifties and sixties, and they were growing physically unable <laughs> to perform the labor that it, that that you needed to survive because you know most people were farmers, all right. And so due to their growing inability mm-hmm. to do physical labor, that pension was the sole source of income for a lot of those soldiers. And guess what? There wasn't one pension system in place. Uh, The union was covered by the federal system Mm -hmm. and the Confederates had to develop their own pensions. Wow. Yeah. They had to create and fund their own pensions. Now, that's new to me because I thought that they would have, even though they were enemy combatants, I guess it was a treasonous act to um, rebel against the United States. So, but, okay. And did you know African-American union soldiers collected pensions? Really? They did. That is surprising to me. Yep. And then where Irene comes in, okay. women and orphan children okay. were eligible for pension benefits. Okay. Get this, a totally disabled private at that time. And, you know, I always play guessing games with Jerry. Guess how much you received a month? This is the, the later pension this or, these, or about the salary. 1920s. 1920s? Yeah. You monthly five dollars a month. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was close. Yeah, and those pensions during the war served as recruiting tools. Uh, really? Yeah, they were running low on soldiers, so they they had to design a a pension okay. to uh, attract yeah soldiers to help you know huh. help further the cause. You know, so, thank <laughs> which, God for the civil cause war. Was, and which cause was that? <laughs> thank God <laughs> for the civil war. <laughs> I All mean, right. for, for our sakes, you know, thank God for the Civil War, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, dude. This but, podcast wouldn't exist without the Civil War. Absolutely. We wouldn't be sitting here, period, yeah. without a podcast or anything, yeah. But yeah. Um, I just found it very interesting about Miss Triplett. Her dad, her father, he died in 1938. And, um, you know, this lady, and the sad part about it is she did have learning dif- no, uh, difficulties. But she would have been, like, living history. And from that article— um, by Ann Shapiro, she said that, um, well, it stated that she didn't um, have many memories at all of her father. She was eight when he died. So I'm just imagining, you know, the years and then just, you know, with her difficulties, she wouldn't have much, many memories of him at all. So, wow. But it was, it was just, I got one last. Go ahead. Do you know, in 1893, Mm -hmm. the pensions ate up 40% of federal revenue? Wow. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I can, I can understand that. They were talking about pensions from the Civil War because yeah. by 1893, 
the Mexican War was over, would have been over what, 18, was it 48? 40, I, I, I know, you know history. Buff. I'm a history guy, and, but either way, that was like 50 years. So I, I'm pretty sure there may have been some veterans from the Mexican War that was still getting pensions in 1893. Uh, that's something we can look into. But um, I, I just think that um, uh, Miss Triplett, Irene Triplett, you know, she deserves a shout out. Um, she didn't receive it in life. And so in death, you know, I want to acknowledge her. And you can tell that I am excited about this. I'm, I'm nerding out about this uh, Civil War story. And it's actually an American story. So it's just, it was good stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, and just for future reference, guys, all of the articles we cite in our shows, we post to our Twitter page. So if you go to the second page news Twitter page, you'll find the articles every week. We post them right before we record the show. And they're great sources of information for the things we discuss. And, you know, once again, the second page news, we like to give you news that you may have not heard of. I mean, this is an example. Jerry's... <laughs> Living piece of history. I mean, God rest her soul. She just passed away, but she was living history. Yes. That's fantastic. So that's what we aim to offer. Uh, last week was a much heavier episode. But yes. like I said, things are changing. And uh, America's looking up. So yeah, uh, you ready to go to the next subject? Yeah, we can go All ahead. Right. When I come back, I got a tech tip for you guys. And it's definitely fitting given what's going on in our country. You guys just wait. All right. So, Jerry, let me ask you a question. Okay. You know why I like asking you questions? Because yeah, I, don't, I don't know anything about tech. But No, because you're the only one sitting across from me. Okay? So, I mean, I could ask uh, Mr. Perfect up there, but I can't ask him. So, all right. Do you know what a VPN is? I do. Why don't you enlighten the audience, Terry? Okay. So, Jerry, a VPN is a virtual private network. Okay. Basically, that's uh, your internet traffic moving in and out of the same location. Okay. Okay. And given, you know, the where we stand in history, online privacy is more important than ever. And keeping your internet activity out of the hands of hackers, advertisers, and government tracking is important. And it's not as simple as like avoiding websites and, hey, I spotted <laughs> that phishing email. No, your traffic is pretty much tracked from the moment it leaves your device, be it your you know, laptop, mm -hmm. your telephone. All right. So what a VPN does, it masks your internet connection. So to give you an example, let's say I'm going to yahoo.com. Well, the way the internet's designed and the network of the internet is that the data travels along the easiest path possible. So let's say I live in Georgia and I have AT&T servers. So let's say the AT&T server that I'm connected to is, let's say, in Lawrenceville. So when I go to yahoo.com, my traffic leaves from my home. It shoots over to the AT&T server in Lawrenceville. And then it goes probably to the Yahoo data center somewhere in the Southeast. It could probably be in Atlanta. But along that way, AT&T and Yahoo, once I land there, they say, hey, listen, this is he's at our page and let's see, he's looking for sneakers. And so AT&T and Yahoo are in a race to sell my information to advertisers. So by the time I come back from Yahoo and then I go, let's say to footlocker.com, the pair of sneakers that I was looking at, they are already prominently displayed on the website. And, you know, a lot of people think that's voodoo, <laughs> but really that's me giving away the information as I search. And really, I'm probably going to use Google as opposed to Yahoo, but you know, you, you get you get the gist of what I'm saying. So when you use a VPN, instead of my information going from my house to AT&T to Yahoo, 
my information leaves from uh, my house and it goes to a VPN service. And from there, they encrypt my information. They say, hey, Yahoo, this anonymous person wants to look up sneakers, right? And so they, Yahoo returns the results, but they never actually tell them who I am. So then the information comes back to my computer screen and my, the advertisers, hackers, they're none the wiser as to what I'm looking at. Jerry, you look like you might have a question. No, actually I didn't. I was just um, listening to it and I'm not going to ruin your flow. So, okay. And the cool thing, <laughs> now here's some of the cool things about a VPN. You can appear to be anywhere at any time, right? Okay. So, and a lot of people who, a lot of expatriates, they use this when they're abroad. So let's say you want the American version of Netflix, right? Okay. Your VPN can make you appear to be in the United States when you're actually in Great Britain or you know, you're in China. It can, you can make it appear to be in California so that you can get your version of Netflix. Because what people don't realize is a lot of these services, they don't go across platforms, okay. right? So typically that's why you see a Brazilian website would be yahoo.com.br. That's specifically that country's network, that country's version of Yahoo or Google. Um, But the VPN allows you to do that. You want to be with a VPN provider who has a no logs policy. Okay. So that means they never sell your data. And in this day and age, let's say you're a political activist and you're worried about, you know, ending up in someone's database and you think they're tracking you by your phone. Well, hey, you know, while you're protesting, you can appear to be Utah while you're in Washington, D.C. They will be none the wiser as to who you are. But now I will tell you this, your internet speed will suffer when you log in through a VPN because it's not traveling along the fastest route possible. It's going directly to that service, out to the internet, back to that service, back to you. But it's an ultra secure way to protect your data and your privacy information on the internet. That's tech tip. I'll have them every once in a while. I'll tell you where to get free things from the app store. Uh, Let's, we'll probably review some new phones and items when they come out. But I, I am an avid believer in technology, and I want my listeners and I want y'all out there to be prepared individuals to deal with the technology shift that's happening in our lives. Good stuff, Terry. When we come back, we're going to finish up uh, the, the show with um, some XFL news. And we may talk a little more sports, but we're definitely going to have this XFL story coming up. So see you on the flip side. All right, people, we are back. Um, we're going to close the show out today. We're going to uh, talk about the XFL. That is a, a you know big thing for me. Uh, a lot of people probably still didn't even know what the XFL is. This was the spring football league that Vince McMahon rebooted. He started it back in 2001, and it failed miserably. So it took him uh, right at 18, 19 years to come back up with it. Well, 17 years, and he started the concepts about three years ago, and, and they really put a lot of thought into the league. And, you know, they had um, eight teams. He owned all the franchises. Um, they had uh, they gave opportunities. This is what I really liked about the XFL is that you had women in executive positions. You had minorities um, as head coaches. African-Americans were head coaches. There were eight XFL teams. They had three African-American head coaches. The NFL has 32 teams, and they only have three African-American head coaches. So that tells you there that this league was going to be an exclusive league. And it also gave players, you know, if you fail through the cracks, a lot of guys do fall through the cracks. Um, It gave them an opportunity. You know, a lot of people wanted to be a 
feeder league or a minor league for the NFL, but I I didn't think that's what they wanted. And that's not what McMahon or the commissioner at the time, Oliver Luck, um, were desiring. But um, the league was five weeks in and it was successful. Um, they routinely were the number one sports show on the networks during you know, their, their broadcasts. The only thing to shut the league down was COVID-19. It took a pandemic to end it. You were, we're talking about a league starting up five weeks in, and then we had to go into lockdown. So everybody was in limbo. Uh, players started signing with NFL teams and CFL teams, Canadian Football League. And so they declared bankruptcy. Um, Vince McMahon did. Uh, he's not going to have anything to do with the, the next phase of the XFL. They actually have 20 bidders on the um, buying the the league. And I got this from XFL News Hub. It's a, a site that's specifically designed for the XFL and the XFL viewer. But Disney is one of the entities that is you know trying to buy the league. And I think that's actually a really good thing. Um, number one, they have deep pockets. Absolutely. And the more money you put in a league, um, you can attract better players. You know, this the first um, you know, form of the XFL that just canceled you know, because of the COVID. They were paying base salaries of 50000 a year. Um, you had quarterbacks making about 400000 It may have been a one or two that made half a million, but pretty much 400000 for the starting quarterbacks. That is nothing compared to what the NFL you know, salaries are. We know that. But... If they could come in, maybe not, they're not going to be able to offer the salaries of the NFL, but if they can do much better than what they had and offer better salaries than the CFL, you can attract some really good players. We saw that this this past spring. You had some really good players out there uh, playing XFL. One of my guys, well, not my guys, is not my, my quarterback, but um, I thought, you know, hey, if Disney does buy this, Terry, how do you think if... You know, Cam Newton right now is still unsigned. How would you feel if Cam Newton went to became a face of the XFL? Well, for one, mm-hmm. I, Jerry, you know how I feel about the XFL. <laughs> it's okay. All right. No, it's interesting because your prejudice is showing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, it's minor league football, but no, it no, wasn't. It's not. it's not. Here's how I feel. Yeah, if Disney, I'm excited. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yes. Let me tell you why. Because okay. content is king lately. You know, everybody has a subscription service. Everybody wants to have original content. Yes. ABC. I mean, Disney owns ESPN and ABC. Yes. Right. Yep. What a great distribution channel to have the games in. Yes. And you, I mean, an ESPN only league where the content was only on ESPN. Trust me. And Jerry's brought this up several times. In the middle of the spring when, you know, football season, well, you're going through football mm-hmm. withdrawals. That's something to turn to and look at. I will say that I did watch a couple of games, but I, it just didn't give, grab my attention like the NFL. And, of, of course. Yeah. You know, it was the first. Think about this. The NFL has been around since 1920. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've made mistakes. They've, you know, gone through labor strikes and all that stuff. The XFL for all intents and purposes, started in 2020 and was five weeks in. So if you... If you, you and know, you know, they, they were a good draw. What was it? The average, like 15,000 to 30,000 Well, it depended on where you live. Yeah. If St. Louis, which doesn't have an NFL franchise, they were getting 29,000, 30,000. Up in Seattle, they have a foot, an NFL franchise, the Seahawks. They were getting 26 to almost 30,000 people in... Um, and see, you know, that's good for those... Markets that yes. don't have an NFL franchise. But the number one thing they need to do, because optics are everything, 
Every city that has an XFL franchise, and they're probably going to do some shifting around. The Los Angeles uh, franchise may move to San Diego, and I can definitely see that. Dallas may move to San Antonio because it's a bigger it's fan base. Smart, yeah. But the like New York, New York has a franchise. They were trying to play in MetLife Stadium. Yeah, come on. They need to play in Red Bulls uh, Arena, whatever they call it, with a New York Red Bulls, the soccer. I think it's twenty five thousand max. Fine. Yeah, because you're right. The optics are very important. Yes. Yeah. If you got 18,000 in a 25,000 seat stadium, you look full. Yeah. And people, the perception is, hey, they're selling out their games. Let me watch this on TV. And it doesn't hurt. Like if you had guys, like I said, Cam Newton. And I know Cam, it would be beneath I, him probably. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. I, the thing is, I, I feel Cam should at least be a backup on someone's NFL team. It, but the face of the XFL, I mean... Could, they can't even afford Cam, you know? That, that, here's the deal. Yeah. The old XFL could not afford Cam, afford Cam with the pay structure. You got Disney owning the league. If they sold off the franchises to other billionaires and they put money in it. All right. Mark Cuban is a guy that I, they, they should. I love really, when you go with this example. He should be on their list of, hey, we got to do individual ownerships. Mark Cuban. Why not Jeff Bezos? Why not? I mean, I don't know if he's a sporting fan, but why not? Give him a call. I mean, what do you have to, in the words of there's somebody in, in occupying the White House, what the <laughs> hell do you have to lose? But anyway, I have two more things. We're going to wrap this up. Hold um, on, Jerry. Yeah, there are two more things I wanted to go over about the XFL. And you can tell I love it. Um, and it's because as a kid, I remember the USFL. This was a great league. At one point in time, the USFL had three consecutive Heisman Trophy winners in that league. It was Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, and Mike Rozier. They were able to do big money contracts. They had Jim Kelly in the USFL. All I'm saying is, is if USFL, I mean, if the XFL put in the big money in this league, you can attract players. So the two things I want them to do is, number one, rehire Oliver Luck as commissioner. The guy did a great job in the five weeks that he was there. And then he was terminated by Vince McMahon. That's another story. And then the second thing, they need to hire in Florida, if they move the Tampa franchise to Orlando, even if they don't, hire one of the guys who I think is probably the greatest offensive mind of my lifetime, the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, as head coach. Let me ask you a question, Jerry. Okay. So do you feel the NFL needs a competitor like the XFL? Or do you think we need... Like additional football? Well, it's not a, well, here's like, the thing. It's not competition. Cause okay. we you know, we'll tell, no, they, I think they've said this. And in, in my view, if I was running the XFL, I'm not competing with the NFL. And I'll, and I'll, you know, voice this if I was commissioner, I was running the XFL. No, I'm not competing with the XFL, with the US, with the NFL. I named them all there. Yeah. I want a standalone spring league where I can draw certain players. If Cam Newton wanted to come, if we could offer him a big money contract, if he did, great. If not, we can do just fine without him because he'll be a backup somewhere in the NFL. the stars make the league, right? Abs yes. And then, you know, the, the notion that, oh, well, you can get these guys, not scrubs, but guys, and they become stars. Like second-tier football yeah, players. Because, yeah, because of the level is not NFL. Yeah. Really, guys who were probably fringe NFL players would become stars in the in the XFL. But why not go after some big-name stars? Why not go out? Who says you can't get Cam Newton? If Cam, like I said, if he didn't want to play, but you, know, you have every year there are like 
lots of guys that we watched in college that just they don't make it in the NFL. They're an inch too short or step too slow That's or something. Yeah. You know, these guys, but they're good. Because I was about to say, you know, athletes have egos. True. So, yeah. You know, if if it was a choice between the XFL and the NFL, I'm thinking they're choosing the NFL. But what of you course. said was, yeah, if you're an inch too short, let's say you're not as quick. Mm-hmm. Ah, or you may you that. may be coming toward the end of your career and looking for three or four more years. I know with you know Tom Brady and Drew Brees, you know, these guys are doing whatever they're doing. You know, forty four years old at Tom Brady, he'll be next month or in August. Um, you know, you can have longer careers, but the vast majority of players. You know, they're mid-30s. They're pretty much done as a starter in the NFL. So just think about it. If you could get a quarterback or something, because uh, I, always, I always look at quarterbacks because quarterbacks are what makes the league. You have star quarterbacks, then you can attract fans. Yeah. You got crappy quarterbacks, nobody's watching Nothing. that. So, But that that's just you know one of my little things there. The XFL people, if you haven't heard about it, read about it. And when they come back in 2021, watch a game. And especially if they start and get some stars in. Josh Rosen. Awesome. All right. That brings us to the end. We hope you enjoyed this light episode. We were really heavy last week, Jerry. <laughs> yes, Special we were. Special edition. Yep. Hey, at the second page news, just please remember, we promise to bring you news you can use that will make you think or make you laugh. And I don't think we've made people laugh yet. Let's try to do that next week. Well, I, is it time? We, we, I missed a correction from last week's show. Okay. And I, you know, I always oh, yeah. have to be right. you know, correct right. myself. Last week's show, when we were talking about the Minneapolis uh, situation with George Floyd, I said that there were the four other cops. I know we said that um, Chauvin had got arrested um, that Friday, and I said four. There were three other cops. It was four total. So that, that's the correction I wanted to, to make on that. Terry. Awesome, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is my wife had picked up on that when we were doing the <laughs> rough draft. She's like, three other cops. Wait, Jerry messed oh, okay. up. <laughs> uh, no, she, she was just like, it was three. So I was like, that's awesome. And then Jerry's always a man of his word. He always makes his corrections. So awesome. All right. So remember to visit us each week. And remember... Each and every one of us makes this country so unique and beautiful. Have a wonderful week, universe. Have a wonderful week, world, and diversity is what makes us strong. Makes us beautiful.